This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Delving into current events to uncover relevant wisdom. Uncover relevant wisdom. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. And hello, everybody, and welcome to the Charlie Harari Show. Great to have you on. Hope everybody had an incredible week. So much going on in the world, so much to discuss. For those that are joining us for the first time, thanks so much. I appreciate your time and attention. For those that have been here before, thanks for coming back. And for those that uh, have heard this before, I apologize for saying it again, but for the newcomers, this is the Charlie Harari Show. My name is Charlie Harari, and our goal for this show is to take a look at what's going on in the world and derive some lesson, something that we can do to learn from what's going on around us so that we can become as great as we possibly can be. That's the goal of the show. That's what we're going to do today. That's what we do it every day. For those that want to hear some of the previous shows, you can check out uh, the Blaze podcast, some of the previous shows that we've been doing. And for those joining us for the first time, I want to thank you so much. We've got a lot to discuss because there's a lot going on in the world. This is the beauty of a presidential election, right? You get to every single week talk about the same people again and again. And so much has happened to these people every single week. And there's so much to learn from presidential elections. It, it, the lessons don't stop coming, mostly because it is, in many ways, a way to look at ourselves, right? Because we come alive through the elections of our leaders, That's what we do, especially in a place like America, where, to the extent possible, it is an open and fair meritocracy. Of course, some people may claim that it's rigged, but all right, listen, we'll always have people with conspiracy theories. I'm sure there's always something going on that we don't know about, but for the most part, it seems that it is a completely fair process that allows us to take a look at a variety of different candidates and say, hey, Who do we want to represent me? And that speaks a lot about who we are. And then these people have to go around and bring out different parts of who we are that then gets translated into votes. And so every single election cycle, what you find is that that's how you learn most about the nation. The greatest way to learn about our nation is not by reading polls And it's not by pontificating or figuring things out or getting a couple of people sitting behind some lab. It's by voting. That's real stuff. People care about the things that they vote about. And when they vote about one issue versus another issue, that's how you can tell what's on people's heads and what's on people's minds. And so the election cycle is such an incredible time to delve into this. And I want to spend a couple of minutes today talking about One of the most interesting parts of personalities, and you see this in terms of elections, which is the elements of imploding. Imploding is one of the most primal gut things that we experience ourselves and when we see it happening to somebody else. It's like when you, God forbid, ever see an accident happening. If you've ever once experienced an accident happening in front of you, it's like incredible, right? It's terrible, but it's so primal that it draws our attention. That's why people will literally, it's called rubbernecking, people will literally drive down a highway, and if there's an accident on the side of the road, everybody's going to look. Because an accident, tragedy, travesty, somebody falling or getting hurt is so primal that we are sort of drawn to stare at it. And when you see people implode, When you see personalities implode, when you see companies implode, when you see governments implode, when you see marriages implode, it's almost impossible not to look. That's why people always gossip about relationships and people that are breaking up. People always are going to buy newspapers that speak about how this Hollywood actor is now divorcing this Hollywood actor. People always watch about how a market crashed or about how a company bottomed up. People always watch these things because when you see something or somebody implode, it invokes this primal 
sort of visceral obsession that we have. And today I want to talk about implosion. Where does it come from? Why do people implode? Why do things implode? Where, where does the implosion take place? What happens along the way when somebody achieves incredible heights, seems unstoppable, seems untouchable, and then something just happens? You know, it's like there's like a turn. It's like the, the day changes. Something like clicks or unclicks in their minds, and then like they unravel. And it's almost as if they're just trying to hold on to a portion of what they originally had and just get out alive. You see this sometimes in sports, right? Teams are winning, and then they just, something happens, right? They get back on the court, and they're just trying not to lose. And if the clock is against them, they do. You see individuals, you watch them, politicians that rise to incredible heights and then implode scandal breaks out but it's not just a scandal that breaks out that's it they're, they're done that untouchability that they once had is now gone and i want to talk about two different individuals one tangentially and one directly and of course you could almost i mean unless you're living in a cave you know where i'm going with this i want to talk about the two sort of prominent polit- politicians that we know that have experienced a certain level of implosion for a little bit of a different reason, but for the exact same principle. And the first is our president, President Barack Obama. And the second is the Republican nominee, Donald J. Trump. Both of which are characters that have achieved a certain level of success, a certain measure of improbable rise that has shocked the pundits, that has taken the world by storm, both of which had a moment where they had the world stop for them. Those rare occasions that only few individuals get where even their detractors, but for sure their supporters, pause and give them a chance to sort of gracefully end the race in a win and then not taking advantage of that, but about facing and then turning and imploding to watch the vultures sort of pile on and then to them for them to literally capture a portion of what they could have accomplished before. And the first is Barack Obama. And I want if you look at his career and you know however he ends up if, if he's lucky he'll get into the mid 50s in terms of approval rating. I I think on both sides of the aisle. I don't think it's a partisan thing for me to be saying that Barack Obama's presidency was an incredible letdown from what everybody expected when he ran for president, right? I, I, I doubt even Barack's closest advisors would say that where the country was on that day when he stood before the podium in Chicago and gave his acceptance speech as the president of the United States, nobody in their right mind, nobody, except for like the few just completely blinded detractors. Nobody thought that in 2016, this is what his presidency would deliver. An incredible you know, approval rating of, I think he was in the 70s or in the 80s at his inauguration, to basically nosediving into the 40s and 30s and 40s and 30s, and basically taking his entire presidency down there, eking a win from Mitt Romney, Passing really one major, and there was a couple along the way, of course it's more complex than that, but one signature legislation that has been sort of the bane of the existence of the entire Republican Party. And countless congressmen, senators, losing their jobs because of their association with uh, President Obama throughout their tenure. Campaigns built just on taking him down. In fact, many people would argue that the emergence of Donald Trump was only because of the venom that the Republicans had for the man that was supposed to be the great communicator, the person that would cross the divide and shake hands across the aisle, the person that had the world crying 
during most of his campaign speeches and was going to finally bring the change that we can believe in. The one that said, yes, we can. He was going to unite the country to a point that he so divided it that worse than Clinton, worse, I would even go as far as, you know, even Jimmy Carter didn't create such venom that Barack Obama did to the point in which an entire Republican Party basically was hijacked by an anti-Obama rhetoric. Donald Trump, I mean, to think that Donald Trump, some of his statements about Barack Obama, that even most Republicans would say was a little bit over the line throughout Barack Obama's presidency, for him to be the standard bearer of the Republican Party just goes to show you how far down that nosedive was from being the messiah that was going to walk and lead our country to the promised land. Because yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Remember that? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Remember that? You know that the, the, they were making videos and music videos and playing. Forget about it. He was he was it. He was it. The improbable senator that spent 30 seconds as a senator taking down the political machine of the Clintons and rising to just whip. Um, who did he run against? John McCain. John McCain. Remember that? Just totally. Totally whipped him through. How did he implode? How did he implode? Like, what happened? What happened from the moment where everybody lined up, two million people and million people in Washington, many of which spent the night in the freezing cold outdoors just to get get a glimpse of the president? How did he go from being the one that would? change the country forever to almost overnight if you look at his poll numbers it didn't happen in 11 it happened in 09 almost overnight nosedive down how did i remember when rush limbo came out against barack obama the republicans were like what are you doing rush like what are you doing you're wrong everybody 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 lined up how did barack obama implode so quickly so far so fast to creating the space that we have right now, which is basically the lost decade of his tenure economically, right? We've had 1% GDP growth along the way, right? Annualized. We've had an economy that hasn't rebounded from that recession that he inherited when he first walked into office. We have legislation that the Republican Party will probably, if they ever win the presidency, just repeal. There is so little that he's going to walk away with in terms of a legacy that is sort of this great communicator uh, connector. How? How? So let's look at Donald Trump. Donald J. Trump is right now imploding. Now, to, to tell you the truth, I don't know if anybody can say he's fully imploding because who can predict Donald Trump, right? Like, everybody, I, I can't count the amount of people, including the president, saying, like, stop when Donald Trump, like, announced presidency. Like, when if you looked at, like, everybody, everybody, when they're like, Donald Trump's running president, everyone's like, oh, is that adorable? Oh, yeah, no, it's not going to, okay, stop. I remember when Ann Coulter was on Bill Maher, uh, you know, two weeks after, or well, not say long on that, maybe like three months after Donald Trump declared his presidency. And she said, well, Donald Trump is, you know, is uh, is leading. And the place just laughed. Like, and, and he rose. I mean, let's give him credit for a second, right? He rose and he didn't, I got to tell you, unlike Hillary, I don't know what went on to knock out so many capable Democratic potential candidates. Like, the field was so weighted in her favor, right? You had one mayor or two mayors that had no shot. Or what, what were they? Governors? But they had no shot. And then you had Bernie Sanders. So far left that even... I mean, as much as the world loved him, he hadn't... I mean, really, he was, he was fighting, you know... He was fighting a war with a slingshot. And he definitely wasn't David, that's for sure. Right? old, 
uncharismatic socialist ideas coming out to an electorate that really didn't buy. I mean, he excited people, but not enough. So Hillary Clinton sort of rolls into this. Donald Trump goes up against 17 different candidates, well-established candidates. Jeb Bush is no slouch, even though he called him low energy, which is ridiculous because Jeb Bush is a high productive energy guy. Carly, well, Carly, yeah, Chris Christie and Marco Rubio and Cruz and you know, he had a selection of incredible candidates to the audience. If you remember those early debates that I happen to enjoy so much, there was upper debates and lower debates and earlier debates and later debates and tons and tons of candidates jumping into the Republican field. And through all of that, he sidestepped and beat them all fair and square. He beat them all. He beat them all. Ted Cruz's brilliant campaign that he had been setting up since he joined Cong- joined the Senate knocked out Marco Rubio's youthful. This is the I can do mentality. Knocked it out. Everyone. Jeb Bush's money and power and politics knocked him out. He just went. He just knocked one after the other to become the Republican nominee, and he reached the pinnacle of where. Even the Republican moderates were saying, okay, we're behind you. And there was a moment in his campaign where I would say even many of his detractors held their breath. Waiting to see what the Donald Trump, the nominee, would do. Worried that if he would sort of put on his sophisticated business-y hat, he may take down Hillary, who's so riled and so wrapped up in controversy. He had that moment. He did. Everybody stopped. And then he started to implode. Implode. Like we spoke about last week, he takes down the family that loses their son in Iraq. You're joking me. He now makes comments off the whole... I mean, he's just week after week, he's imploding and imploding and imploding. Why? Why is he imploding for? He's not... How does he get through all the minds to be reached the top of the Republican ticket to only implode moments later. I would ask the question even further. How do, how do things in our lives implode? How do marriages implode? How do you take a couple that, you know, you go to their wedding and they're just so happy and in love and they can't, like, you know, they can't not stop looking at each other and they talk like an inch apart. You know what I'm talking about? And, like, they, they sit on top of each other when they, when they come down from the, the ceremony and, and, they, and life, they're on their honeymoon and life's amazing. And then, like, you know, five years later or seven years later, they're yelling and screaming and, you know, they're, they're whispering in their young child's ear terrible stories about the other. They're just, they're selling their assets for cheap so they don't have to share money with it. Just disastrous, stupid terrible for how how did the marriage implode how did the relationship with the kids implode how do you take that little kid from the hospital and hug him and kiss him and clean his knee and tuck him into bed and then just fast forward a couple years and screaming and yelling and slamming doors and leaving the house how did that happen how do companies implode how do you take a company and just watch it just disintegrate where does it come from when we come back, we're going to talk about it. What are the elements of implosion? And why does it happen to too many things, people, concepts that we know and love? This is all coming up when we come back. You're listening to The Charlie Harari Show on the Blaze Radio Network. This is The Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. You're listening to The Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to the show. Talking about implosion. What are the, what are the elements of implosion? Why did it happen to Barack Obama? Why did it happen to Donald Trump? Did it ha- it's happening. And why does it happen to the different things that go on 
in our lives. So let's begin by understanding the different elements of implosion. This is like, let's just sort of, just take a minute wherever you are and just like come with me, right? This isn't like, you know, I hope that it's not just sort of background noise of what I'm saying. I want you to like be with me a little bit because if you delve in with me, I think it'll be more meaningful than if um, if not. And I don't want to sort of just talk about it from a tangential perspective. I want to I want to delve a little deeper with you today. That's the beauty of doing these types of shows, you get some time to really delve into different issues. So let's talk a little bit about the elements of implosion. And every sort of implosion starts off with the same beginning. Height. Height. Right? Somebody scales enormous heights. What does it mean to implode, right? For something to implode, at least how we're talking about it, there needs to have been an enormous amount of success beforehand. Right? Because if nobody is scaling any level of heights, nobody really is worried about an implosion, right? If you climb a massive building, right, and then you fall, that's a big deal. But if you climb a couple of stairs and fall, nobody really cares. When you talk about implosion from a perspective of things that take place in other people or in our lives, what you first have to realize is that somebody or something was able to scale a considerable amount of heights, right? Someone was able to launch themselves from a pack. Somebody was able to achieve a certain level of success that is distinct from other people. Or else, when they fall, no one would care. No one would consider it an implosion. Nobody's looking at my approval ratings because I didn't become the president of the United States. Right? And if Obama became the president of the United States from the skin of his teeth, if he was at a 50 coming in, no one would be like, oh my gosh, he dropped to a 40. Right? The reason why the, the implosion of Barack Obama is so interesting is because he was so popular. Donald Trump beat 17 more qualified candidates in the most improbable political victory, maybe in the history of modern politics. Right, A man and a woman found each other. There are thousands of people that are still trying to find... And then they found a baby was born, a company was created. This stuff is real. And when you, when you want to analyze a certain level of implosion, you have to first attribute a certain level of respect and credit to the people that grow, that expand, that explore, that scale heights. Because it's only by understanding why they became so successful in the first place do we start to get the hints of why they failed or they imploded in the second phase or the third phase of their evolution. So let's begin by understanding that. Barack Obama comes up. Why? Why did Barack Obama extend and expand his or anybody's expectations. How did he take down Hillary Clinton? The answer was fairly simple. Barack Obama had something that other candidates at the time didn't have. An incredible amount of charisma and an even more incredible ability to speak. Right? What was the Barack Obama presidency? What was or candidacy? What was he? If you really break him down, what was he? He was a really good speaker with a really good story. Right? That's, he's got a great story. I mean, he's got a dad and a mom. He grew up in Kansas, and his father was in Kenya, and his, his white grandmother raised a black child, and he had an improbable, you know, from that background, who would have thought he would have made it? He ultimately becomes, uh, he goes to Harvard. I mean, he's got this incredible story, and what really puts him on the map is the Democratic convention that he attends I think it was 2004, where he gives a speech about him being the American story, and everybody looks and goes, wow, that was fantastic. Barack Obama scales the heights that he does because he leans on his ability to preach, his ability to speak, his ability to stand behind the podium, and with the words and his intonations and the pitches of his voice and the character that he can create, he can rise and raise crowds. That is a skill that Hillary Clinton does not have. 
Hillary Clinton is not a great public speaker. Look at her nomination speech. It was like a policy speech. I was yawning and bored. Bill Clinton was sleeping during her speech. We come back, we're going to talk about just what was it that made Barack who he was and why Donald Trump seems to be not far off from there and how that was really there in doing. This is Charlie Harari, and you're listening to The Charlie Harari Show on the Blaze Radio Network. We'll be right back. This is The Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. You're listening to The Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to the show. Talking about implosion, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, and life. So Barack Obama takes this to the streets. Right? If you remember the, 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 the political campaign in life in 2008, it takes to the streets. And slowly, 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 an improbable victory from an improbable candidate, someone with no experience, Someone with no track record, somebody with no in real infrastructure, and he starts to capture the minds and the hearts of other people. If you look through his campaign and the people that he surrounded himself with, you will find they all say basically similar things. He made me feel. He made me feel. When I was with him, I felt. Go to his top advisors, the guys that were feeding him the information. Go to the crowds. Go to the crying old, crying grown men that spent 12 hours waiting in line to get a glimpse of him and wa- ask them, why are you crying for him? They will say, he made me feel blank. That was his power. The ability to make somebody feel hope and promise and change much better than Hillary Clinton. In fact, Hillary had no shot. As soon as he won Iowa, as soon as he was on that map, as soon as he had some money pouring in and everyone paid attention, she stood no chance because toe-to-toe, people just want to feel. Remember the famous saying? Say something, they won't remember it. They won't, people will remember what you say and what they rem- people will remember what information you give them. They're only going to remember how you make them feel. And Barack Obama rises in this world by making people feel through his words. But here's the problem. He wasn't on a search or in a contest for America's preacher. He wasn't trying to be Billy Graham. He wasn't trying to be the next big preacher. He wasn't aligning himself to becoming a minister of the largest church. He was becoming a president. A president is an executive position, right? You're a CEO. You have to run something. Right? You have to operate a huge entity called United States of America. The job that he was playing for did not reflect the skills that he used to get there. So what got him there won't take him there. Right? I heard this once from a management guru named Marshall Goldsmith. And he said, what got you here won't take you there. Isn't that amazing? I, I love that. As soon as I heard that, I was like totally blown away by that line. Listen to that line again. What got you here won't take you there. Right? This happens all the time. What got Barack Obama to the Oval Office won't take him to a successful presidency. Because getting to the Oval Office requires a certain level of charisma, speaking abilities, right? Synthesis of issues, taking complex things and making people feel better. And Barack Obama was running a campaign at arguably the best time to run a campaign, right? If you look historically at presidential elections, you will find that when the economy is tanking, usually the incumbent party loses. So here you've got a guy who is dealing in the middle of a crisis running for president against George W. Bush, 
who was largely blamed for the crisis. So the John McCain, the old way, just was out of vogue. But the new change in hope for those people that were getting their houses foreclosed on, I mean, what could be better than that? But as soon as he got into office, something amazing happened. The team around him started infighting, politicking. He didn't know how to manage. Right? He was pushing legislation that was inspiring, not legislation that was necessary. Right? If you notice in his first year of office, he was creating health care summits and pushing through Obamacare. In his first year of office, it was 2009. 2009, we were still suffering from the economic crisis, the largest crisis in the banking crisis since the Great Depression. We're still getting over the banking crisis of 2007, 2008. What should have happened was that the Obama administration and Geithner and Summers and the team that he had assembled around them should have pushed through an economic reform and only an economic reform. The last thing they should have been doing was creating inspiring legislation. But he didn't know how to do that. He didn't know how to navigate that. He didn't know how to navigate his team in just general management skills. He wasn't a manager. He never ran anything except for his own personal campaign. Or not even his campaign, his life. He was pushing legislation that may have been nice in a campaign speech, but not a great idea when you've got to focus 100% of your attention on fixing the banking system and getting the, 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 the economy on the way to recovery. We shouldn't be sitting here in 16 saying we're still getting over the 07, 08 crash. We should have been long past that. We shouldn't be sitting around debating a health care bill that was going to overhaul the entire small business administration during a decade where people aren't making any money. But that wasn't inspiring. And he wanted to be inspiring. He needed a legacy. He promised hope and change. And it wasn't just the legislation. If you look into his candidacy, if you read the stories from his top advisors, you see the turnover of his chiefs of staff. You see again and again the ability to be mismanaged and to be swayed by this advisor versus that advisor. It was because what got him there, what got him here, should say, couldn't take him there. Donald Trump's the same way. For those that are following the campaign here closely, you're seeing a guy who figured out how to sidestep 17, I would call them, mostly qualified candidates, right? If you look at the last stage and you look at the 17 Republican candidates, I would say almost all, most of them were qualified to be the United States president or more qualified than Donald Trump. That's fair, right? More qualified than Donald Trump. And somehow... To an electorate that is, I hope, more sophisticated than people think, he managed to just win. And he didn't just win one. He went again. And he just, he just, it wasn't even close. He just wiped people out. He took, I, listen, anybody, anybody that was watching the election last two years ago would say, Jeb Bush, it would be Bush Clinton. He just, he, he knocked out Bush early. Ted Cruz had the most sophisticated game plan and ground troops than anyone has ever seen. I mean, Ted Cruz is just a king when it comes to his mind. And he put together a team like you can't believe. And even so, Donald Trump dismissed him. Marco Rubio went after Trump with his own... Marco Rubio went after Trump with his own medicine and failed. It's amazing. You see Marco Rubio making fun of Trump, and everyone, no one thinks it's funny. And Donald Trump talking about his own size, and everyone seems to be okay with that. The reason is because Donald Trump has a strong suit that most people didn't realize. It's called marketing. Donald Trump is a reality television superstar. Donald Trump is a self-help guru. He can market better than anybody on that stage. Donald Trump understood that for him to win the nominee nomination, he has to separate himself by marketing himself differently than everybody else. So everybody took stances that would be the actual stances they take when they're in office, right? Nobody would in their right mind summarily shut down immigration to all individuals that are, that are Muslim. It wouldn't work. It's too big. They can be better at it. They can be much better at immigration reform. They can bring in less people. You can do a million things 
that will actually work and go through Congress than just this one-page shutdown. The idea that he's building a wall and having Mexico pay for it is so ambitious and so beyond the pale. There's so many things that you can do to shut borders down, to protect against immigration. There's so many measures you can take that are reasonable measures that can get bipartisan support, that can actually push through Congress, that can, that can actually not divide a nation. That's what a president would do. So everyone else is telling stuff what they would do. And then you remember the debates. Every guy's like, sort of like, yeah, we'll do this, we'll do that, we'll be reasonable, we'll be reasonable. It's, it's a world of reasonable individuals actually thinking that they're supposed to share their reasonable position. But guess what? Reasonable doesn't sell. Reasonable doesn't get attention from the media. Have you ever heard of a reasonable person getting a huge book deal? No. There have to be unreasonable, sometimes for the good and sometimes for the bad. The, the way you get attention is by standing out of the pack, not being part of the pack. So he comes up with these outlandish statements because he's marketing himself. We're building a wall. And all of a sudden, everybody that just doesn't want immigration, everybody just sort of is like, yeah, that guy is, stands out from everybody else because I can remember what he says. And when he says things that are so above and beyond reasonableness... It gets media attention. So in his nomination process, he stood out by marketing himself better than everybody else. He understood that in the Republican Party, there's a faction of people that were mistreated, that were left in the cold, white males, most of which or a portion of which are out of work or underemployed, that feel that, that, that they're not being catered to. Large parts of, 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 of states that f- dislike Obama so much that anybody that hates him more than them is what they're going to support. And if you go through the exit polls of each of, these not, uh, each of these primaries, you'll see every one of these people that came out usually vote for Trump because of some outlandish thing that he said that they agree with. It was a terrorist attack. He's shutting down the border to Muslims. I, 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 none of the guys said, I don't know what they said. I wasn't paying attention because they said something that required me to think a little bit. I, I got what he said. Yeah, what he said. China's raping us. I, I don't know what that means, but I, he's probably right, and that's probably why the factory shut down because China's raping us. He said it. China's raping us, and we got stupid leaders. We do have stupid leaders, and yeah. He gets up there, and these outlandish, crazy statements, they just stick. The, the, the nicknames stick. So he rises to the top of an entire group of candidates because he's good at something. He's good at marketing himself. And then he becomes the nominee. And then Barack Obama becomes president. And the couple gets married. And it's two years later. And the baby is born. And he's a teenager. Right? They get there. The climb is over. Right? You're done climbing. You're done interviewing. You don't got to stand out. You got what you wanted. You have the ring in your hand. Now this, this, is what separates good or implosion from success. You see... To quote Marshall Goldsmith, what gets you here won't take you there. You see, anytime you accomplish something and you grow, anytime you're trying to accomplish something great and you climb a certain hill, there's a moment where you're done climbing. And at that moment, what you have to do is what they call in the business world, pivot. Pivot means I was looking one way, and now I've got to pivot myself. I have to change what I do. I have to change who I am. I have to change even what I rely on as my strong skill, because in order to get the job done, it requires an entirely different set of skills than to get the job. You see this all the time in corporate America. 
The, the best sales guy becomes the manager. But he doesn't know how to manage. So he just keeps on selling. And the whole department collapses. Right? The company starts to grow. And all the excitement, all of a sudden they have to actually take the, we're going to get our first $100 million or $10 million or $1 million in sale to, we got to service clients. We don't got to walk around and have meetings anymore. Barack Obama gets to the top of the heap. And once he gets to the top of the heap, the skills that got him there, preaching and inspiring, that's not what the country needs. The country needed a manager. Of course, the president needs to get up there and say things to inspire and say things to instill confidence. But that's once in a while. The president's job is to assemble the right teams and manage them so they can actually make actual real change. But here's the thing. Unless a person is incredibly humble, they never pivot. What do I mean? We'll talk about it when we come back. This is Charlie Harari listening to The Charlie Harari Show on the Blaze Radio Network. This is The Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. He called us last night and he said, I think I'm dying. He told us the symptoms. He says, I have uncontrollable running diarrhea. I keep vomiting and I have an extremely high fever. Symptoms of the Zika virus. Isn't that also symptoms of eating it hot and ready? Yes. This is also the symptoms of the norovirus or something we call the flu. The morning blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday mornings, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Delving into current events to uncover relevant wisdom. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari. Welcome back to the show. Talking about why people don't pivot. How come great individuals that have achieved tremendous things don't pivot? Presidents, nominees. And the answer is because pivoting requires an incredible amount of humility. You see, lots of times when you have great people, they're great because they believe in themselves. Nobody believed in Barack Obama except for Barack Obama. Nobody believed in Barack Obama except for Barack Obama. Maybe his wife, I doubt it as much as himself. Nobody believes in Donald Trump like Donald Trump. Right? Nobody believes in CEOs and in relationships and everything that you're doing in life. Nobody believes in the things that you're doing as much as you. Nobody thinks you're going to be successful as much as you do. And so if you've got a skill like speaking or marketing and you believe in yourself and it's working against the world, the world said it wasn't going to work and it is working. The world said you're too young and you're, you're, you're attracting crowds. The world says you're too dumb and people are showing up at your rallies. People, the world says it's never going to work out, but, and, and it works out. The world says things, and you are achieving success by going against the world. What happens is, inside, you develop a certain level of arrogance. The world's wrong. I'm better than them. I'm better than that. And you start to rely on your strong suits that got you there. You, start, you stop seeing yourself as separate from your strengths. You are your strengths. You rely on them to show yourself that the world is wrong. It becomes about you. Now that reliance on your strengths against the world is healthy to a point. And then at some point you cross the bridge and you lose a certain amount of humility. See, humility is not I can't. Humility is, it's not about me. You see, great people know they're great, even if they're humble. But they recognize that one, it came from something else. Right? I think most great people have a certain amount of faith that it was a God-given ability. And two, it wasn't given to them to use as they want it was given to them to use to help. And if you're living your life thinking that you did it or you, were, you built it yourself, 
and that you can use it whenever you want. You rely on it so much that it becomes a piece of you and that becomes your downfall. Because as you climb to the hill, it's that very thing you have to get rid of or you have to lessen to enable you to open up a whole new set of skills that you're going to need to get there. So had Barack Obama recognized and realized that this is it, guys, I'm, I'm not the preacher anymore. I'm not the speaker anymore. Sure, I can give in a speech every once in a while, but that's not my job. I got to be a manager. He may not have ran in the first place. He may, he may have said to himself, listen, if the job is to be a manager and I'm 40, whatever, five or whatever we ran at 46, whatever he ran at in his mid 40s. And I just showed up at the Senate. Hey, maybe I should spend 10 years working in this town. So this way, when I get this job, I'm going to know how to do this. Right? Or maybe once he's in there, he needs to say, forget all the inspirational stuff. We're in crisis. I got to manage. I got to figure out how I'm going to manage this well. If Donald Trump would get up there and say, hey, I'm the nominee. Now it's not about being outlandish. It's about being reasonable. Right, Because now I'm not talking just to Republicans. Now I'm talking to Democrats and independents and undecideds. Now, it's not about going further off the deep end. How much further off the deep end can I go? It's going towards the middle. It's being reasonable. It's not about marketing now. It's about leading now. It's about showing my sophistication now. It's about showing my reasonableness now. Had Donald Trump been able to pivot, this would be an entirely different election. Had Donald Trump been able to show people that the guy who you heard five months ago saying these crazy, calling John McCain not a hero because he didn't get away, forget that guy. That guy's gone. It's not that I'm the guy that is so sensitive to to, to army veterans that even though an, a parents are going to come after me, I'm going to be gracious. Pivot. I'm going to say things that are not going to be outlandish. I'm not going to take every bait. I'm not going to tweet out insults. I'm not going to go to 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 rallies and say things that anyone can misconstrue. I'm going to stay on message. I'm going to pummel Hillary in terms of what her negativities are, and I'm going to show the world that I'm a businessman that can make difficult decisions and has reasonable positions. Had he pivoted, had he dropped the marketing stuff and pivoted in, we have a different election right now. Had Barack Obama pivoted from, I need a legacy, and we're going to do these big, and I'm going to be this inspirational change agent, to I'm running a country, I'm just a manager, we'd have a different presidency. We'd have a different presidency completely. He would, be, he would have been able to walk across the aisles and sit with Republicans. We'd have a different world right now. When a husband and wife gets married, what gets you married isn't what keeps you married. What gets you married is the lure. It's the dating. It's the romance. That's the excitement of the meeting of the person, of the, of the, the no responsibilities, of the fun that two individuals have when they're living in their little romantic la-la land. And then life hits. And you've got, you've got kids and mortgages and bills and jobs and travel schedules and in-laws. And you've got stuff. And the whenever I feel good, then I know it's going well mentality is gone to we've got to manage a relationship and delve and become one person. So we've got to start taking care of each other and think differently. If a couple can't pivot from this is a great, fun, romantic time to we're building something together as partners. They're never going to stay married, or at least not happily. But all that stuff that got you her or got you him, that's not the strong suit. It's a different person now. Raising kids, uh, running a company, it's all the same thing. The art of the pivot is the hardest thing to do because that requires humility. And that requires people that have achieved success in an area to say, that success that I achieved got me here, and I'm going to use it a little bit, but that's not what's going to take me to the next level. I've got to pivot away from the thing that I relied on to now expand a different part of who I am to accomplish what's in front of me. And that's hard. That's hard. It's hard 
to go from we're going to get our first million dollars of sales to I got to answer my clients again. This is so boring. It's hard to go from this kid is so adorable. I get to play with my five-year-old and throw a little football in the backyard to I got a teenager slamming doors on me. It's hard to pivot, which is why you will see again and again people scale incredible heights only to turn and implode because it's hard to change and humility is not a common trait and it's hard to look at the thing that gets you there and say hey I respect this trait it was a God given gift but for me to take myself to the next level I gotta do something different I'm gonna take a piece of what I had and then create another piece of myself you gotta believe that you can do things that you haven't done before you gotta believe that you can open up parts of yourself that you haven't opened up before and you've got to have the humility that if someone gave you, if God gave you that, he can help you on, the, on, on, on something else too. That's hard. Kings throughout history have imploded their empires because they can't do it. Parents, teachers, spouses, CEOs, principals, congressmen, governors, you name it. Look around to a road littered with the carcasses of careers that spent decades building only to see a lack of pivot, a lack of humility, and then come crashing down. Because implosion happens when we're not humble and when we can't pivot. But for those that can, the world is their oyster. For those that can, they can create a skill that can take them to places that they never new imaginable and that's our job that's our test and I leave you with the question are we living are you living a life that needs a pivot are you have you accomplished something and now you're somewhere and you're just not getting anywhere you're you're, you're here but you just haven't moved forward in years Is, is something stuck maybe you're relying on what got you here and you gotta pivot And ask yourself honestly, what's going to take me to the next level? And when you face the fear of doing something different, and when you digest the humility of not having to think that it's you that did it, but to have the ability to change, you can accomplish anything. This is Charlie Harari thanking you for the time and attention. Remember, life ain't meant to be good or great. It's meant to be awesome. And if we can learn the lessons that are right around us, maybe just maybe we can touch a little bit more of the awesome that is or should be our lives. Thanks for listening, and you're listening to The Charlie Harari Show on the Blaze Radio Network. See you next week. You're listening to The Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network.